it with Kay and Clay. Kicking it with Kay and Clay. Kicking it with Kay and Clay. Kicking it with Kay and Clay. have an, um, an author on today and I was just going through my grid, you know, on Instagram and I saw the title of this book. I said, hmm, that is interesting. It was someone else who posted her book. So I actually went to her page and I, you know, reached out to see if I can, uh, you know, set up an interview and if she would like to be on uh, center stage. And she said, yes. And this is how this interview um, came about. So you're in for a treat. Okay. So our next guest holds a PhD in communications from Rutgers University with an emphasis on marginalizational communication and its impact on um, margin, margin, marginalized groups, excuse me. She is the host of her own podcast, Fresh Out the Cocoon. And as I mentioned before, she has a book. She's a brand new author and her book is available 
it's, it's available now. So once we talk about it, you'll be able to go and purchase her book. And her book is called Fat Girls in Black Bodies, right? So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Joyce, Joy, I'm sorry, Cox. Hi, Joy. How are you? Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing. Again, like I was saying, I was just, you know, going through my grid on Instagram and <laughs> I forgot who one of my um people that um that I follow and she follows me, she posted your book. And I was like, wait a minute, this sounds interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> I have got to see this author and get her on the show because I am very intrigued. Mm. So before we get into the book a bit, just um, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Where do you reside? Yeah, so I currently reside in Northern New Jersey. Mm. Um, yeah, I did my PhD at Rutgers, which it would be considered Central Jersey and okay. New Brunswick. Uh, and then after that, I relocated um, near uh, near Newark because I wanted to be involved in the community. Um, and I had my eye on Newark for a few years while I was studying. And I figured that, you know, if I wanted to make an impact or make a change, that was probably the place I needed to be. And so I made plans and I took the leap soon after I was dubbed Dr. Gooses, <laughs> I'm out. And, um, and, and that's where I landed. Okay, New Jersey. How is yeah. that? Where are you originally from? Um, so I'm originally from Philly, uh, Philadelphia, okay. Pennsylvania, right? So everything's like a bridge away. Right. Um, I'm about an hour and a half from there, but I grew up in the on the outskirts of Pittsburgh, um, in a small town called Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And most people know about Johnstown because we're famous for floods. Oh. Um, there were some big floods that happened that kind of wiped out the city on several oh, no. different occasions. Um, and so when they talk about Johnstown, that's typically what they talk about. Johnstown is also known for the steel mills. Um, and so I grew up there primarily. My mom moved me and my sisters out there when we were younger. Uh, and so since then, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. Um, you know, I did my undergrad in West Virginia, mm -hmm. did my master's in Missouri. And then wow. I was like, I gotta come back to the East Coast. So that's when I decided to do my PhD. You love the East Coast, huh? Just yeah. Going on. I mean, you know, you gotta like. I feel like you take your trade offs because the East Coast is like there's a vibe. I can't quite put my finger on it, okay. but I know it's not in the Midwest. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. I'm in the Midwest. <laughs> um, I mean, but I love the mid. I mean, I yeah. Have fun. I had fun in Columbia. I was right outside of St. Louis, about two hours away. And um, it was interesting because I had Kansas City on one side of me and I had St. Louis on the other. And I felt like St. Louis was more East Coast and Kansas mm. City was more West. So I would go to St. Louis when I wanted to kind of feel like home, okay. away from home. Yeah. Okay. No, I feel you. Um, the East Coast, it, it is a vibe. And I, I've said this a couple of times, even though I'm I'm from Michigan, born in Detroit, mm -hmm. um, half raised in San Diego, California. Okay. And then back to Detroit. So, you know, um, so I had like that West Coast flavor too. But I, I, I've said that if I could pick a state to live in, even though I won't because I'm just like over the snow, it would be New York. I, I like oh, yeah. that whole vibe. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
<laughs> but that's interesting. I mean, people always ask me about New York. I mean, where I live right now, I am. I'm roughly 20, 25 minutes outside of the city. Okay. Um, so it's easy for me to hop there and hop back. <laughs> right. And that's pretty much what I do. Like I'm in the city and I'm like, okay, like y'all are over the top. Like somebody turn these lights down. It's bright. <laughs> like, and it's going to stay that way, you know, um, all the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. but like, I, I mean, I do think that the boroughs have their own niche and their own personalities, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really do enjoy being like on the East Coast and being this close to everything. The only thing that the, the biggest drawback, I think, being on the East Coast, especially in these spaces, is the price of living. Yeah. You know, what you pay yeah. for one bedroom. I mean, my I, I heard my heart break when I moved back here from Missouri and they told me yeah. how much it costs for a one bedroom apartment when I was living in like a three bedroom house. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It hurt me in ways that I had never been hurt before. Um, <laughs> yeah. But oddly enough, like when it was all said and done, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay here. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I didn't want to move back, like, you know, back across the country. I didn't want to go to the Midwest and I've been to the West coast too, but there hasn't been like a place that I think really, captures everything yeah. yeah that i'm looking for like the east coast does okay all right east coast yeah. so <laughs> were you happy that your home your home state turned blue yes <laughs> i mean i mean okay like can we shout out philly just for us yes. um you know uh i was stressed out i mean i stopped watching after the first night yeah like, you know what y'all gonna count these votes and it is what it is mm -hmm. but i'm not gonna stroke out over this so um i just didn't watch and then as they counted you know First, it, I think it was like all the focus was on Georgia. Yeah. And I was like, this is just too much. This is like, you know, I don't know if you're into sports, but mm -hmm. I watch like basketball mm -hmm. and I like the Premier League. And like it almost felt like like the last 10 seconds of overtime mm. every day I woke up and mm. I was like, I can't do these last minute plays like this is too much. Um, and then my sisters, they were sending me like updates on the on the counts. And then people started saying, like in Pennsylvania, like they're edging, they're edging out, and um, you know. And then, then all the shoutouts came to Philly, and I was like, <laughs> I love y'all so much. <laughs> yes, Philly <laughs> so representing. That's how we was feeling here in Michigan too. Yeah, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, Detroit showed up. Yes. You know, I'm like, Philly, Detroit. You know, um, Atlanta showed up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Up and out, thank God. <laughs> yes, because yes, I cannot do another. No, another four. I, I cannot. I, you know, and I, and I hate to think what he's going to do when he's not in office. I, I, I shudder to think, but you know what? We're we're it's we're going to keep it happy. We're yeah, gonna keep it happy. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't want to go there tonight. Uh -huh. <laughs> Okay, so come on, fat girls and black bodies. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that? What inspired you to um to write this book? Um, so one, I am a fat girl in a black body. <laughs> <laughs> I have been a fat girl in a black body my whole life, uh, and I think that um, one. So there's a number of reasons I think why I finally sat down and was like, let me write this. One of the reasons, um, probably maybe the most like 
work smarter, not harder reasons mm -hmm. is that usually when you write your dissertation for your PhD, right, which is like the big report that mm -hmm. helps you get your degree. Um, afterwards, what people typically do is that they parse out pieces of their dissertation to become articles for different yeah. academic journals, right? Yeah. And I was like, if I wrote a book, I wouldn't have to do none of that. Just throw it all in one book and then you're done. So I was like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. So that was <laughs> that was one of the okay. driving forces. Right? I like that. I like that. I didn't want to parse out because I think, too, you know, when you are working on a project, you do see it as like one whole piece. Right. Like it's a story. Um, and some people are only interested in certain chapters and that's how you kind of get the articles. Right. And I was like, ah, no, like you really don't get what you what you really you don't really get everything without understanding the story. Mm -hmm. So I was like, it's better to write a book and not to not to have a parse it out. Uh, I think another thing that's important is because, you know, there's a lot of talk right now when we talk about um, civil rights, when we talk about human rights. <clears throat> when we talk about the impacts of white supremacy and what that looks like, you know, in our society. And oftentimes this gets left out. Uh, we don't address this. Um, you know, as a collective black people, I think we are accustomed to questioning almost everything. Right. Um, but when it's when we start to talk about the things that really hold um, a sense of status and worth, um, in our communities and in other communities, um, those things get a lot easier. They're, they're a lot um, easy, easier to be brushed under the carpet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so uh, for me, I think that this is a topic that's important. People are dying because of this mm -hmm. um, regularly. Um, and then, you know, you think about the generation that's going to come after you um, that will nine times out of 10 live through what you live through if you don't speak up and say something. Uh, and so fat black girls um, or fat girls and black bodies is, is kind of a, is a tribute to to, to the generations that are coming up, right? Um, you know, I'm happy to say that I kind of, I survived through um, a lot of the the experiences in my life. Um, whereas I've seen other people that did not. Mm. Uh, and I think that it's important to point out the ways that as a community, we could really come together and heal one another as opposed to using the same vices or using the same tools that we see on the outside, right? Um, albeit healthism mm -hmm. and, and white supremacy and what we say fitness is and what we say health is um, instead of using them against each other because mm -hmm. it doesn't benefit us um, and it definitely doesn't help our kids right um, you know and and so you know me writing is really for other people I think in some ways I mean it was cathartic for me mm -hmm. but really just just a way to say okay this is my platform this is what I want to say and I know that people will kind of listen to me because I have those letters behind my name and they'll be a little less likely to ask questions um, and drill me as though I don't know what I'm talking about it's not that I can't defend those things right, right? Um, but there is a sense of weight that comes with that and I wanted to be able to use my platform and do something that I know would kind of move and shake things Okay, so you mentioned that you had your own experiences. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah, so um, <laughs> so so where do you start, right? Like, um, 
I mean, I think so. My dad was one of the first people and I kind of write about this in a book. Um, my dad was one of the first people that kind of signaled to me that my body was not the same as everyone else's. Um, and it was and it was in a subtle way. I don't think that he necessarily meant to be nasty or mean or rude. Mm -hmm. But my dad used to do this. I don't know, airplane things. So my dad yeah. was about six feet tall. Right. And when you're a kid and you're like four feet tall, six feet tall is everything. So, um, you know, we used to line up and he would lift us up and he would bring us back down. Like that was the ride. There was no yeah. swoops. There were no swirls. Right. It was just up and down. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was the best thing ever. Um, and so the one time he came, you know, we're all standing in line, getting ready to get lift up and get, you know, put back down. And as he lifts me up and he put me back down, he said, you know, your dad's not going to be able to keep doing this with you. Mm. And I remember as a kid being like, well, what? You know, in yeah. my mind, I'm like, well, why not? And then I started looking around and he's lifting my, my youngest sister and putting her down. He's lifting my oldest sister, put her down. He's never saying those things to them. Mm. Right. And so on some level, you start to think about yourself. You're internalizing. Well, what is it about me that he can't keep lifting me yeah. up, up and down? And then as you get older, people start filling in those pieces for you. Right. Um, and whether it was family members, um, I had a family member tell me that my legs look like tree trunks. Um, that was something that was hard to get over. I think as even, you know, just being grown, um, you know, you know that your legs are not tree trunks. Right. Um, but that doesn't erase the image, right? Mm -hmm. When you're standing in front of the mirror and you got to get dressed and you're mm -hmm. hoping that you, you know, you look nice. That's what you see. You see yeah. big stumps of leg and you're like, how am I going to wear whatever? Or this, I won't wear this because of this reason. And so I carried around a lot of those internalized things for years, um, you know, and that was just like the things that I was dealing with, like with my family, people asking me questions. I had one year, they tried to put me in summer camp, <laughs> summer camp, because they thought I wasn't active enough. Mm -hmm. um, so you were like, the were you like the only one in your family, like from your immediate family? Yeah. So, um, which was also interesting. So like mm. I said, I have two sisters, right. Um, and they both grew up fairly thin. Um, I had an aunt who was, uh, who was heavy, right. So she lived in a larger body, but she wasn't a kid. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the confidence that I seen in her was something that I carried around as hope for myself growing mm -hmm. up. Right. And so like, that was kind of the thing that kind of helped to combat when people like blatantly said things about me. Right. So it was like, no, cause remember, and my, my aunt's name was Pearl and she, she was like the coolest aunt ever. And she wouldn't let us call her aunt. Cause she thought that, you know, she was <laughs> too young for that. So we walked around calling her Pearl. Right. And so, um, but she would, you know, they would say things and I'm like, no, cause Pearl, like Pearl was, Pearl would dress up, you know, so, you know, you could find clothes that are nice cause Pearl mm -hmm. would dress up and you knew you could have fun and you could party because that's what Pearl was doing. Um, and so I kind of used that as leverage, um, inward hope to kind of mm -hmm. push myself, um, forward instead of like, you know, shrinking in despair when people right. would say things, um, and then aside from that, I mean, you know, going to the doctor's office and different things like that, there was a lot of advocating that I had to do for myself. Um, because when you, you know, my mom, she didn't live in a larger body either. So, you know, you're sitting in a doctor's office and doctors are saying certain things about your child, whereas she doesn't see the offense in it because... Mm. 
you know, right? Like you're not yeah. living this reality. Yeah. Um, you know, and I remember being 16. Um, I had to get my gallbladder out. Well, I don't know. To this day, I still don't know if I had to get it out, but this is what they decided to do. Okay. Um, and when they decided on the procedure, the doctor told me to stop eating so much fried chicken. Mm-hmm. And I remember being livid, right? I, 16, I was pissed. Yeah. Right? Like, why would he say something like that? Why does he think that I eat fried chicken? Right. Like, where did that come from? Right. And um, I remember sitting down and telling my family about it. And I remember them chuckling. Wow. Right. And telling me like it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, you know, kind of standing on this island by your own, having experienced the things that you've experienced um, wasn't easy. You know, it wasn't easy for me. You know, obviously you get passed up. You're not, you know, I, I've noticed like to be the third will friend. I know what it's like to be considered the strong friend. I also know what it's like to be considered the mammy friend, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm the friend that everybody can kind of dump their issues on. Right. And it's supposed to be my responsibility to take care of them. Um, and I do have a caring heart. And like learning how to balance that over time mm-hmm. has also been something that's been um, important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also understanding that it's not my obligation to take care of you. Right. Which oftentimes is something that gets put on people who live in larger bodies because we ain't got nothing else better to do. Right. Like you don't got no love. You don't have a love life. People ain't knocking down your door. Like surely you can do. You can listen to my problem. You ain't doing that. You can do these domesticated things. Why don't you cook me something? Bake me something. Make me feel good. That sort of thing. Because that's kind of where you're. You know, that's the vision, right? That's kind of, you know, that's where your life lies. And if you, you know, and I mean, I think we see that replicated in TV and we see that in movies, right? Like what does Big Mama look like, right? And Big Mama is a certain depiction of a type of individual, a type of Black woman. Um, And Big Mama typically never had a life prior to, right? Um, She wasn't like running the streets or living her life fabulously and then she became Big Mama. No, it it almost seems like Big Mama has always been. She was born and she was Big Mama. Right. So we get conditioned to think those ways and to believe those things. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I'm just like, well, shoot, I want to do something different. Right. Um, Having all these accolades and stuff, you know, I think it's always interesting to still see people's eyes shift when I say, no, this is what I study. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm studying, you know, I'm studying health and I'm studying weight within the context of racism and particularly in the context of identities that are stigmatized, which include fat individuals. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, that. Yeah, that y'all that. So. Wow, girl, you said, Oof. you know, it, it, it's 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 just amazing how, and I know a lot of people can relate to this, um, whether they're in a larger body or not. You know, everyone can relate to, well, not everyone, but a lot of people can relate to, um, you know, being that that person in the family that that you know people you know talk about or other people talk about. So this is very, um, you know, when I, when I hear stuff like that, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't, people, they, they're just so mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's just so mean, you know, cause you know, we all been picked on, you know, as kids and stuff like that. And, um, you know, people think like, oh, you know, that's just kids stuff, blah, 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 blah. You know, words don't hurt. Words do hurt. Yeah. Yeah. They, they carry power. Right. Right. And I mean, even, even, 
to add to that, the behaviors that you see, um, research would, would suggest that um, young girls are more likely to have eating disorders when they watch their moms don't do behaviors that show that they dislike their bodies, mm. right? So here you are, a parent standing in front of the mirror, like sighing and, and grabbing your, you know, mm -hmm. grabbing your rolls and your pouches, and you are saying, "Yeah, but I never told my daughter that her body wasn't okay." But she saw you do that, right? And she internalizes that, and she yeah. believes that this is not the way bodies are supposed to be. So as her body starts to develop and she gets those same rolls and pouches, she tries to stop that process right mm. um and that's why i say that this is like a community issue right this is yeah. a community thing that you know the things that my mom or my dad or my aunts uncles cousins whomever have said to me it just it just doesn't stay with me right yeah it impacts how i live it impacts how i carry myself how i see them behave right the ways that i see them have conversations about people whose bodies look like mine yeah Right. So maybe maybe your you know, maybe your family never came to you and was like, oh, girl, you are a hot mess. Right. You look a mess. But I watched you make fun of everybody else's body. Who right. looks just like my body. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm going to make conclusions about that. Um, and as a community, like we don't have to live that way. You know, I mean, yeah, white supremacy is all around us, but that don't mm -hmm. mean that we have to bring it in. Right. Side, right. Right. We have enough problems with other people trying to suppress and, you know, come down on us to to do it, like you said, in, etern internally, you know. Right. Mm. Like, let's let's lift that burden. Right. Let's yeah. give one another the freedom to live and to be. I mean, I know that there are a lot of things out there that say, <laughs> you know, like diet culture is, is ripe. Um, as far as, you know, why people think that people's bodies become large, mm -hmm. right? Um, but there's also this thing of genetics. I mean, you you talked mm -hmm. earlier about like, you know, was I the only larger one in my family, right? So the family of four, yes, right? But if I were to look on my dad's side, all my aunts is fat. Okay. Every last one of them, right? I have a fat aunt, right? And so we all eat the same stuff. We're all moving the same way. And then you got some fat bodies. I'm five, four and a half. My sister is five, 10. I have another sister that's oh, wow. five, nine. I'm like, where did my height go? Right? Like you got something extra, right? Yeah. You got some, I got, you know, I got, and me and my oldest sister, we had a conversation because she really asked me a question once and she was like, you know, do you think you could have done something to change like the outcome mm. of how your body is? And um, and I told her, I said, when puberty hit, you grew up. I grew out. Yeah. Like I didn't ask for my hips to protrude the way that they did. They just kind of went that way. Yeah. Right. Like I was round, round for years. Um, and then I hit puberty, like my waist went in, my hips went out, and I didn't have no say over that. No. Uh, the same way yeah. you don't have no say over your height. It just yeah. kind of happens that way. Um, but there is this running idea that we can stop certain processes. We can stop the way that our body uh, gets get larger, right? Nobody's touching the issue about whether you're tall or not, because that's not something that um, that we have learned over time that has a certain, um, that has power attached to it, okay. right? Like as it relates to men, yeah, like you'd be like, okay, this guy is short. 
I'm, you're not as attractive if you're short, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, you know, if we, um, there are procedures that help men to be taller, um, people be taller. Um, but if that was widely accepted, I think that there would probably be more men opting to do that. Yeah. Um, but because weight is like one of those things that have to determine status, especially among women, um, the majority of what you see is sold to them. Right. I don't know if I'm breaking people's heart by telling them that waist trainers don't work, but waist trainers don't Girl. work. Girl. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But you know, waist trainers don't work. You know, if you see something that no. says that you can lose two inches off of your waist by the end of the week, I don't know how to tell you that, you know, when you set out to lose weight, you don't get to decide where the weight comes off at. There's Girl, no such thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? So, and mean, plus, and the weight tra waist trainers. I mean, it's me. I mean, I, you know, I I used to work out with one. I'm like, I, I had to do my own research. I'm like, this ain't doing that. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> but you know, but people wear it to hide their roles. You know, hide this. They're they're being that's kind of deceitful. You know, I mean, but so but you know, but so is spanks. Um, yeah, yeah, so I'm talking, yeah, that's all that's in the same the same line. Yeah. And what I try to stress, I think too, because as somebody who sews clothes, I, I would like people to understand this thing that clothes really okay. So first of all, sewing all of that stuff is a work of art, right? Mm -hmm. It's really about imagery mm -hmm. more than it is about, hey, this is what my body looks like underneath. Mm -hmm. So when you when you construct the dress, you're sewing it in a way that it develops almost a shape of its own. Okay. Where we've come in society right now is that that shape of its own is depicted by whatever is underneath you. Mm. But like if you look at clothes that were made, you know, in the Victorian period, mm -hmm. those clothes stayed the way that they were by themselves. There were petticoats underneath that yeah. kind of helped the skirts come out because it was about an image. Yeah, right? it was. It was about a certain look. And so um, people who kind of get hung up on this idea of like Spanx because everything is supposed to be smooth, this, that, and the other, really, in some ways, if you're not creating the shape that the garment was designed to be in, right like that's irrelevant yeah right it's kind of irrelevant um but again when we kind of go back to power structures and we go back to social status we're living in a time where <laughs> where the artist doesn't have to do as much work right mm. they're literally putting together something sheer and then be like put your body underneath let's see how this goes right Right. Like, let me let me just see, you know, we want to give an illusion that you're naked underneath, but you're not yeah. really naked. Cause gotcha. You're wearing a, a bodysuit and people are, you know, cringing inwardly because they don't want people to see what their naked body looks like under. You know, they don't want people to see see that silhouette because this idea is that, you know, there are so many Beyonce. You, everybody should have a body like Beyonce. Um, when the truth of the matter is that. Everybody doesn't have a body like Beyonce. No. Everybody doesn't have the resources like no. Beyonce. Right. <laughs> right. We don't know what Beyonce is doing with her body, right? Mm -hmm. So Beyonce, and I'm not saying this is what she's right. doing. This is not tea, right? Right. But right. Beyonce could be showing us every day that she's working out and she patting her, you know, patting her with a towel or whatever, and then she could be going to get procedures done. Yeah. We wouldn't know, right? So imagine you working out six hours a day talking about you trying to get like Beyonce and what Beyonce got ain't even 
can't be accomplished right and what mm-hmm. it is that you're doing and that's what i mean that's what diet culture does it sells us a bunch of pictures it's like yeah, it you, yeah you can be like this you can you know and and it simultaneously treat it simultaneously trains us and conditions us to hate our own yeah. body yeah i don't want to look at this every day i want it to change and if i do a slim fast or if i do a mediterranean diet if i if i do a keto diet then i'm gonna be smaller and what does that get you well it gets you the things that diet culture supposedly says you're supposed to have right so it gets you the it gets you the looks it gets you the attention mm-hmm. um it's supposed to get you the success um but when i started to realize that i had already accomplished a lot of those things in the fat body that i had mm-hmm. i was like well wait a minute hold up <laughs> You mean to tell me I'm not supposed to have no ribs, no chicken, well, at least not with not not so that it tastes good, no ribs, no chicken, right? No ice cream, none of this stuff, so that I can get, you know, get the partner, get, get likes get on house, Instagram, get the likes, get the attention. Well, what if, what happens if you already have all of those things? Mm. So then what value do you see in yourself? Mm. Right. And those were the types of questions that I started asking myself about me, which helped me to come to the conclusion that, you know, it's not who it's not worth it. I I cannot look forward 15 years from now and imagine me still being like, oh, I got to get this weight off. Yeah. Like you've been at this job longer. Like you should be able to file for retirement by now, like something, right? It's just that you are constantly driving yourself through these cycles. And for what, you know, sometimes I think that's the big question we need to ask ourselves for what, why are we doing this? Why is it important? Why does it matter? And it's okay for you to be honest with yourself and say, because I want the likes. Because I want to be seen as desirable because of all of those things, right? But then that deals with your core, right? That deals with who you are internally as a person. Don't pop out of that and then point fingers at me and tell me I'm being unhealthy. Don't pop out of that and then point fingers at me and then tell me, you know, I don't care about, I'm glorifying obesity and all of these other things. No, just say that you do what you do for the likes and the attention. Like, it's okay. You know, people can be so, so nasty because I remember who was that? Um, Ashley Graham, the model Ashley Graham, you know, she plus size model, beautiful, you know, um, comfortable in her own skin and, you know, it's exude confidence. But yet, you know, you I remember when she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, people were saying that, oh, you know, you you're you're just glorifying glorifying you no know, um obesity or or unhealthy like how you know she's not healthy right exactly right if and i could tell you how many fat vegetarians i know girl right how many fat <laughs> vegans i know right if 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 we are going to determine health simply by what people are putting in their bodies then a lot of small body people got a problem yep right but yep. we're not we you know we're not measuring that in the ironic thing about Ashley Graham is that she was like a size 12. Right. <laughs> like, if, which, if is, Ashley, which is normal, which is like the average. Is it 12 or 14 now? But anyway, it's 14 now. No, that, that's 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 average. Child, listen, if Ashley Graham is glorifying obesity, well, um, my size, I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. 
But right? This, <laughs> but do you think it's like, I mean, I know we have a long way to go, but do you think that it's kind of um, people tr- kind of coming around a little bit at like you have your Jill Scott's that's like, look, you know, like I said, you have your your plus size um, uh, celebrities, uh, you know, icons, and and you know, people are a little bit are trying to come around a little bit. I and 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 for people that's you know doing all this talking, talking, talking. Um, like some of them, they, they are really, they really think that, oh, well, you know, well, I'm just concerned about your health, you know, because I do know people who are in, you know, big bodies and who are not healthy. I mean, it's, it's like, you, you really, you have to do something about that. I mean, it's like, like beyond, like morbid obesity, like morbid, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not gonna say because they I don't want to call them out, but um, but yeah, so so in those type of instances, like yeah, you know, it's like come on, that, that's you know, get healthy. But if you like you said, if it's just genetics, what? <laughs> well, and I think also I think that there seems to be okay. So I think that there seems to be a misconception around the idea or the percentage, right? Of you eating and being physically so how much of this how much of weight gain all of that stuff is in your control um and how much it changes your health outcomes um and so imagine if you're fat everything if you're fat weight loss is at the top of the list for um reducing quote unquote yeah. reducing harm as it yeah. relates to your outcomes that's problematic Okay. I'll tell you why. One, because 95% of diets fail. Yes. That means that the majority of us who start to eat quote unquote healthy, mm-hmm. right? Your body actually signals to itself because you cut your calories that it's starving. So yeah. your body actively works to make sure that it holds on to the fat that you have because your body doesn't understand trends. It's trying to keep you alive. Right. And so what winds up happening, the number one predictor of weight gain, right, is the attempt at weight loss. So your body is constantly boomeranging every time you try to go on a diet and you try to lose weight Mm -hmm. within two years, your body not only is keeping what you have, but it's putting more on. Yeah, (laughs) because you are. You are you're literally messing internally with the way that your body is handling itself. And so why does that become problematic when when fat people (laughs) visit the doctor? One, because there's a good probability that if we take the doctor's advice, we're going to wind up fatter. Mm. Um, (laughs) And two. Right. Even if we were to lose weight, there is no proven way that we know how to keep it off. Okay. Right. Because your body is constantly actively fighting to gain it back. Um, and then, you know, emotionally, psychologically, the toll that it takes on your body, right? So we haven't even talked about disorder eating, right? right. So not having an eating disorder, but what it means to like skip meal. Oh, I'm going out tonight. I need to fit in my dress. I'm not going to eat all day. That do more damage. <laughs> right. So yeah. your body is like, bruh, what you doing? <laughs> right? Like we need to eat. We need to right. function. You can't do stuff like that. Right. But in your mind, you're like, no. This dress, 
needs to fit a certain way. I'm mm-hmm. going to have these spanks, this, that, and the other. So the idea that people who are larger, um, like, oh, if you just ate differently, you could change your out your outcome. Okay. Like that's not always necessarily true. Mm-hmm. It's not also, it's not a given that people who are fat, like, so one of the things that get pushed a lot, like people who have type two diabetes, yeah. if you have type two diabetes, the first thing that people say is that like, you need to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no guarantee that once you lose weight, your diabetes goes away. Mm. Right. And so, and so there's always this prescription. The moment that you show up in a doctor's office, if you're fat, that, th- that you should lose weight. You should lose weight. You should lose weight. You should lose weight. And what a lot of um, people have started to do is say, okay, if I was in a smaller body, what would you tell me to do? Right? Because if I have type two diabetes and I'm in a smaller body, you're not going to tell me to lose weight. You're going to give me some other recommendations. Mm. You are, you, as a, as a, as a healthcare professional, you're going to give me some other, some other remedies. Mm -hmm. Um, but doctors sometimes can't see past the weight thing. Yeah, like, give me something true. else. And I had to tell my doctor myself, I said, listen, I've been fat my whole life. Right. Even your, your, you know, your idea of me going to go visit the nutritionist. I told her, I said, there was a time when I was eating 12 to 1500 calories a day. Oh, right. And I was only, I think I lost maybe 30 something pounds. Like I've never, my, my, my adult life, I've never been under 250 okay. ever. Right. So, you know, I was trying to explain to her, like, you got to understand that I can almost starve myself and this weight will go nowhere. So we're not talking about weight loss. Not here. Not now. I'm going to need you to give me some other some other things. Right. And then you get a plethora of other (laughs) other options. Right. Like, Mm. oh, well, if you got up and if, if you stretch, you know, if you do this, if you do that, you'll probably feel better. Okay, well, why you couldn't have told me that? go to is is what you eat. Right, is what you eat because Mm -hmm. that's what we've been taught, right? Mm -hmm. So when you see somebody that's super large, you're like, if they could just change what they eat, they'd be better. There's no guarantee. You know what? I ain't going to front. You know, we, we, a lot of us, we we all said it or thought it. Mm -hmm. We we have. Listen, I've said it and I've thought it, right? (laughs) I mean, I've said it and I've thought it. I've said it to myself, right? Like, Joy, you, you know, you just need to stop. Yeah. If you just didn't eat as much, like put one less rib, you, you know, if you just didn't do this, if you just mm-hmm. didn't do that, if you just exercise the extra hour, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, I worked up the, the stamina to do it. You know, I actually did it. Right. Okay. So I started to eat less. Right. Started to work out more. Mm-hmm. And what I got from that. <laughs> right. Was yeah, <laughs> an emotionally damaged individual. Mm. Who was stuck in patterns of disordered eating with a fear that that little 30 pounds that it took for me to lose was going to come back. back. Mm. And let me tell you something. It came back. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, when it came back, it bought 15 pounds of his yeah, friends. It had friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so there was a part of me and a point in my own life where I had to be OK with me. Yes. Right. Because before you ask yourself, come on, if it was if we was in a relationship, if this was like, you know, for people that are, you know, heterosexual, if this was a man who came in, swept you off your feet, made you feel good. Then you was there for a while. You started getting super anxious and insecurity take over. Like your heart is beating. You don't know when he coming home, all this other stuff. Like you ready to go back through that cycle again. Hmm. Hmm. 
Mm. You ready to start second guessing yourself again? You want to know if he out there, if he doing whatever, this, that, and the, and the third. You ready to go through that drama again? I had to ask myself that question. I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. There has to be a different way. And for me, that different way started with acceptance. Right? So and so, when, when did that acceptance come at in, 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 in your life? At, at what point did that acceptance hit and stick? So I'm new. I'm like, I feel like I'm new to the game. Okay. Um, for me, I, I would say that acceptance hit about 2013. Okay. Right? Like, I was just like, look, this is your body. It is what it is. Like, and a lot of it dealt with, you know, like people say, if you want to, <laughs> this is like a saying, like, you know, if you, if you have, if you, if you're having a hard time following your diet or whatever, stand in front of the mirror naked. Something to that degree. Yeah, I've heard that. So. Well, what I learned how to do is to stand in front of the mirror naked. Mm -hmm. And I stood in front of the mirror naked long enough that my body started to normalize in my own vision. Right. Mm. I think oftentimes, you know, when you see something that you don't want to see, we have a tendency of looking away. Yeah. So you don't really know what you're looking at because you haven't spent much time. You just know that whatever you got a first glance of, you don't want to see it anymore. And what I noticed is that that was some of the things that I was doing in the mirror. And so I started to stand in the mirror and look at myself. And then I was like, oh, snap, like those legs are not tree trunks. Mm -hmm. Those are actual legs, mm -hmm. right? Like what role? Like these are roles everybody has. Like, and you start to, <laughs> right. There's, there's a certain, you know, there's this normalization that came to me that like your body looks like everybody else's body. It's larger, yeah, but like it, you're not deformed, right? Like you're yeah. not a monster. Right. You're not any of those things. Like it's not any of the things that you have been, that you have heard over and over from other people. And it's not any of the things that you have told yourself, right? Like you're not undesirable. You're not any of those mm -hmm. things. Child, I love my hips in ways that I don't think anybody else ever will, <laughs> right? I'm like, yes, like, yes, hips. I'm sorry that they, you know, they, they, you know, they high five people when I walk past the aisle. And, and you know, and people, they, right. you know they, they're getting injections to get hips right, and butt right. and stuff. So. And it's like, you start to, at least for me, I started to value myself and really yeah. be thankful for what my body does. In 2000, I think it's 2016, um, I had a PE, which is a pulmonary embolism, blood mm -hmm. clots that come from your leg that travel up, yeah. get stuck in your lungs. Um, and it gave me another appreciation for like honoring my body for what it does. Because what your body is purpose to do is to keep you alive. And um, I have been on years. I was on birth control, um, you know, 2014, 2013. I, I first started taking flights or I flew to Missouri for the first time ever. That's where I wound up doing my master's. Mm -hmm. And I never thought like, oh, <laughs> like blood clots could be an issue. Right. For yeah. me, I was just like, I'm hopping on these planes. I got to go speak at conferences. It is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then a couple of blood clots laid me on my, you know, lay me on my back as mm -hmm. I was out collecting a rug that I found on Craigslist for free. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and and it made me, again, kind of look differently at my body, that my body is not like just this trophy. It's not this thing, this pretty thing for everybody to kind of look at, right? Like there's so much more to us than that. And I was like, no, my body actually functions for me. And how can I be mad about that? 
Like, how can I be mad about the body that's keeping me alive? Can I imagine what it would have been like if I was like still stuck in that place, eating 1200 calories a day, um, you know, not not eating properly, practicing disorder eating and then having a pulmonary embolism? Right. Like what my body would, have, you know, could my body have um, bounced back from that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm grateful that I, I made a choice um, to say, no, buddy, you're going to eat three times a day if that's what you mm-hmm. need to eat. You know, and you're not going to push yourself to a point of exhaustion, um, you know, because you feel like you need to work out and do all of these other things. Um, just to please someone else. Right. Just to please people you don't know. Don't know. You, you've <laughs> never met. I mean, you know, and half of the people will double tap you. They don't even leave a comment. You really working out. You really working out, you know, 12, 15 hours a week for people that that right. don't even leave a comment like something got to give. You yeah. know, I got to I got to wake up with this body. I got to go to sleep with this body. You know, this body keeps me warm. You know, when I get excited, you know, this body, my arms move and I'm jumping mm. all over the place. You know, <laughs> when I'm sad, this body is is comforting to me. Right. And so I learned to look at my body outside of like just aesthetics and it's not to say that I don't think have yeah and it's not to say that I don't think that my body you know is cute because I because I just talked about my hips you know and um and I'm grateful for my cheekbones right and Mm -hmm. this bosom is something else I mean I you know I mean it's just it's a beautiful thing to 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 kind of see see what has happened right and I look at my aunts and I look at you know my mom and them and I see that my body is like a product of them I'm like, oh, yeah, I seen those hips before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Calves just like mine. It's like, w- w- would you look at that? And so, um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a certain honor that goes with that that I don't think that I had growing up um, because you're not really taught that. You're kind of taught that you should change and be like everybody else. Conform. Right. Yeah. Well, you again, you have a, a, a wonderful outlook. And like you said, you know, your, your body is, is, is supposed to, you know, work for you, keep you alive, you know, and not, not for someone else. Be comfortable in the skin that you're in. That was something that, you know, when I was in, in my old church, that was always stressed. Be comfortable in the skin that you're in. I mean, yes, you know, we all want to make some modifications, you know, that's, that's, that's natural, mm-hmm. but do it for yourself. Don't do it because, you know, you want to please somebody else. You know, if they don't like you for who you are, then bump them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my attitude. Okay. Listen, I, I think I have that. I probably have that attitude too. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? I'm good. Like, wait, Joy, wait, 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 wait. Like, he's he's applied. He got to fly to play. I don't need no call to fly to play. I'm good. Like, uh-uh, Joy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, you know, I definitely get it. You know, my my advice to people is to dig and find out why. Because I think oftentimes, you know, when we start to dig and we really start to ask our questions, why we want things a certain way, Mm -hmm. why we want to be a certain way, we get to the answer that it's not about us at all. You know, um, it's really about... (laughs) It's really about, you know, other other people or it's really about standards that have been set that really didn't have anything to do with us in the first place. Um, and I think it's freeing when you can say, OK, well, this isn't really about me, so I don't have to. Right. You know, I don't really have to subscribe to this. So this this um, lastly, do you see 
the, what, okay, how can, you, mm, what, what, what I'm trying to say here? So I know like, and you're, you're a researcher, so, and you did, you know, a lot of research for, for your book, um, which is available everywhere, right? Is it, or is it it's on Amazon? Available. It's available everywhere. I mean, right. people, yeah, you can, you can Amazon it. You can, you can, girl, I walked in bronze and know my book was on the shelf. Yes. I, I kind of tipped, <laughs> but I didn't tip too much because, you know, I didn't want to fall, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, and then also independent bookstores. Okay. Yep. So do you see it getting better our our society how we view this this um i don't even want to say issue but do you see it getting better and what can we do to make it better yeah i mean i think there are some you know there are some peaks of sunlight mm -hmm. in the darkness um i think that you know one of the things that i think we can do is that we can remain consistent and steadfast in these spaces, right? Because um, uh, having to to visit doctors and and if everybody's saying the same thing to doctors, then I think it makes a difference, right? Um, if parents are not um, judging their children, if all parents are not judging their children, right? Mm -hmm. um, if parents are catching themselves in the process yeah. of saying, hey, I said this earlier, but I didn't mean that whatever, right? If they're rectifying those things, then I think long-term we can start to see those changes. I'm not asking everybody, I guess, to become a researcher like me and do those things, but I think there is a certain, you know, dignity that people should have um, towards the humanity of others. And, yeah. you know, you ask yourself if it matters, right? Like, do you have to comment on somebody's body in the grand scheme of things? Like, does it matter? It doesn't matter, does it? No. So don't do it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't have to go out of your way to say something about somebody's legs, thighs. There's actually a term, it's called fat talk that women tend to do. And it's actually a form of bonding, right? Like we got to break stuff like that where, you know, I say, ah, my arms are so big. And then you say, your arms are not big. Have you seen my arms? Yeah. And then you, know, you, say, you jiggle, right? Like women come out of that conversation actually feeling closer to each yeah. other, right? Like, but there are other things that we can bond about. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, really? Right. Like, I'm going to bond with you over jiggly arms. I don't want to do that. So I think, you know, if we take those types of things out of our conversations, if we learn how to change the way that we talk about bodies, change the way that we talk about fat, change our view of like what fat is, right? Fat does not automatically equal death. Stop it. Yeah. Or right? unhealthy. Right, or or unhealthiness, yeah. right? No more than being skinny does. Yeah. Um, you know, that doesn't render anybody to be healthy. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think those are the things, small things that we can start to do interpersonally with one another that changes. But I think that there are small small glimmers, right? We mm -hmm. do see that there's kind of an extension of sizes that are happening um, in stores, not saying that it's happening in very broad ways, but we do see, you know, more stores um, offering extended sizes and clothing. We do see doctors that are also taking what's known as the health at every size approach, right? And so they are, you know, dealing with their patients, um, not using weight as like that determinant factor. 
and and like their health outcomes and different things like that. Because there's loads of research that was, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the other thing about society. I mean, to get kind of really to change, there's loads of research that speak to how weight loss isn't like that unicorn that we think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't hear about it. And part of the reason why you don't hear about it is because of power structures. And the other part is because it's not popular. Yeah. Right? Like that thing that you've been betting on all your life, you should find out that it ain't real. It's like going to the whiz. Man, <laughs> let me tell you something. When you find out that that weight loss is Richard Pryor, you might blow something up. You see? So. Wow. You know, it's it, sometimes it's easier to be like, yeah, no, the whiz is real. Just keep trying. Mm-hmm. Like, if diets were so effective, we wouldn't have to keep trying. You would have been successful in the first one that you did. It's true. But now you're on number 38 and you blame yourself every time it doesn't work. Never questioning that maybe the problem is the diet and not you. Right. But, you know, those things, I think there are things, right? I think that there are people who are standing, who are shouting, who are screaming. And as a result, light is peeking through. But really interpersonally, I think small steps can make a big difference. That's awesome. Yep. It, I, I agree. And like you say, you don't have to comment on this, just shut up. This, yeah. this, keep, your, keep your thoughts and comments to yourself. Your mom used to talk through, talk through her teeth. Right. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Right. Right? Like, yeah, just learn to let people, yeah. what I say, like, let me fat in peace. Right? Like, <laughs> just let me live. You see me happy. You see me, you know, having fun. Clap it up before right. you start talking about. Oh, you can't Trying believe to change what? you and everything. Right. Yeah. Are people yeah. supposed to be sad too? We right. supposed to be miserable and depressed? Like we can't even have fun. We can't go out. We can't look nice, right? right? None of that stuff. Like we have to. We have to like reflect society's vision of what fat people should be, and that's a problem. That you won't problem. catch me there. All right, you heard that. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. Clay. 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 Clay.